Hello, this is Philip Norville Joe Carroll, author and narrator. 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 Narrator of the Pariah Podcast. This is Episode 5, Unwanted Company. He wants to travel with me, Keo thought. As enjoyable as your company may seem, no, like I said, I prefer my solitude, Keo said. He wasn't hungry, but he picked at the crust of bread and scooped up peas with it and ate them together. He kept his head down. Keo could give Surly for Surly if Morden wanted. I like my solitude as well, but I'll make that sacrifice. I've been sitting with dullards for the last ten days. Walking with you couldn't be any worse. I don't walk. I run. Keo thought it was a good comeback at first, and then realized it left him as no worse than the other dullards. Keo was annoyed. The boy treated him like a servant. Is this what it's like to be a servant, expected to do whatever you're told? If the choice is between riding with dullards and walking with one, why are you choosing to walk now? Is it getting too crowded on the wagon? Yes, or rather no. The wagon is turning south to loop off the highway and pass through the numerous small villages in the southern forest. It will take another two weeks for the wagon to reach Hender's Peak. At your pace, I'll be there in half that time. That's my pace. You think you can keep up? Keogh asked. Sure, Morden said. Keogh wanted to wipe the dismissive look from the condescending boy's face. Listen to this. If you want to go with me, I will be leaving the inn at the Sixes. If you're there and ready, you may follow. If you're not there at that time, I will assume you've decided to take the wagon. But understand, I will not slow my pace for you. If you can't keep up, you can just walk on your own. That's real solitude. You think I'm a weakling who can't walk a smooth highway as easily as any other? I think you'll find you're the one who will be left behind. In the morning, Keo stood outside the inn, his bundle slung across his back, holding his breath that the village clock would chime sixes before the arrogant braggart found his way into the courtyard. But on the first chime, the door swung open to reveal Murden, dressed and ready for the road, or so he thought. A servant from the inn carried two bundles down the steps behind the boy, placed them between his and Keo's feet, and left. "'You think you're going to carry both those bags all the way to Hender's Peak?' Keo asked, struggling to keep a smile from his face. "'No. You can carry one. Your hands seem to be free.' Keo lost the urge to smile. "'Hmm,' he said, walking around the other boy, looking him up and down, then bent to the two bundles. The boy would learn a few things if he was able to keep pace. Keo opened both of Morden's bundles and spread their contents onto the paving stones of the inn's courtyard. After looking over his assorted items, he spread one of the blankets out and said, Take off your tunic. No, Morden said, matter-of-factly. I'm a designate third. I must always display my family crest and rank. If you're coming with me, you need to do as I say. Will you wait and ride on the wagon, or are you taking your tunic off? Frowning, Morden removed his belt and tunic. Keo laid it flat in the center of the blanket, then directed the boy to add to it 
under-tunics, hose, waxed outer cloak, cloak, and a few other items they would need on the road. After showing him how to fold and roll the bundle so that a strap could be run through the center, Keo gave Morden his own old strap and told him to redo the bundle until it was tight and solid. Adjusting the pouches on his belt, Morden said, I like the strap you have better. I do too, Keo agreed. It's wider and won't cut into my shoulders, but I got up at the fourth after midnight and milked cows for one of the stable hands. In exchange, he gave me this belt. It's woven from the hairs of horses' tails and worth much more than the pails of milk I filled, so I don't feel like giving it up. As Morden re-rolled his bundle, Keo gathered the remaining items into the other blanket and folded that as well. "'Are you going to add a strap to my other bundle, or are you going to carry that under your arm?' Morden asked. "'No, I'm putting it on the wagon. You can get it in two weeks, though I don't know why you brought all that stuff. No matter which king's service you go into, they'll most likely take it away and dump it.' The formerly stoic Morden came dramatically to life. Startled by the sudden display of emotion, Keo stepped back. The other boy made a fist and held it in front of Keo's face. "'See this? See this ring?' Morden snarled between gritted teeth. Yeah, so? It means I will be an officer one day, regardless of which king's service I go into. One day, you'll be working for me, or someone like me, a third from another designate. You should be watching what you say and what you do, because someday you will depend on me or my word. The village bell chimed five. That's five before now. It's an hour after I'm normally on the road. Strap your pack on your back as tight as you can get it while I put the rest of your rotting stuff in the wagon. What had he come to? He had never cursed before, and just when he felt he was gaining greater control over his emotions and desires. It was this rotting designate third, and there he had cursed again. The aggravation of starting late and his inability to throw off the unwanted weight of Morden made his head pound. Keo took a quick sip of cider from his skin, slung his bundle over his back, and headed for the highway. He passed through the western gate of the village and turned, expecting to see Morden far behind. Yet, there he was, almost on his heels. Hmm, Keo grunted, turned back to the road, and hiked off at a strong pace. Taller than Keo by more than a hand's width, Morden's long strides seemed to keep pace with Keo's without any effort. After an hour of walking in silence, Keo broke into a jog. He would see just how long this other could keep up. An hour later, when it was time to switch back to a walk, Morden was still with him, though breathing a little harder than himself. Keo decided he would walk to catch his breath, but not long enough for Morden to fully recover. A quarter hour later, Keo broke back into a run. Did Morden grunt? Was he feeling the exertion? Keo didn't dare look to lose his psychological advantage. In the third hour before midday, Morden showed signs of wear, and they stopped to walk again. "'Do you understand why we're not wearing heavy tunics?' Keo asked. Morden grunted. On the horizon, Keo saw the square shape of a way hut. He slapped Morden's arm with the back of his hand and said, "'Look!' Morden looked where Keo had touched his arm and scowled at him, but nodded. Keo took off again at a run. When he reached the small stone building— Morden was far behind, having chosen to walk the distance. Keo checked inside and found it empty, the stone oven cold. He took a pounded tin bowl from inside the hut. 
Outside, a well with a partially filled trough was only a few yards away. He dropped the wooden bucket and hauled it back up, pouring the ice-cold water into the tin bowl. Keo took a sip and found the water crisp and clean. He had a second bucket up and emptied into the tin bowl by the time Morden stumbled up. Drink a little, eat a little, but not a lot. We're behind and need to keep going, Keo said. They walked for the better part of two hours, and didn't run again until the second hour after midday, and then for less than a half hour. He was working Morden hard, harder than he'd worked himself the first few days. But he'd gotten used to the comforts of eating in the common room and sleeping in the hay. The way huts were adequate, if you had food, but far from wonderful compared to an inn. The afternoon stretched toward evening. Keo and Morden walked side by side. The sun's going down, Morden said. Keo considered the arrogant designate third. I thought you'd forgotten how to talk, Morden grunted. You're doing a lot better than I thought you would. Morden shrugged, keeping his eyes on the ground. I'd gotten the idea from the others on the wagon that you designate kids lived an easy life and were really soft. You're soft, but not really soft. The other boy didn't say anything for a long time. As they walked beneath the darkening sky, Keo thought he was done speaking and nearly jumped when Morden broke the silence. You're a third. You know how it is. We've known since we could understand family relationships that we would someday go to the king's service. My father is the least favored cousin of a designate. We were dumped on a broken-down estate in the southern draw and forgotten. The designate is getting old, and I'm going into the king's service. I can come out of the service in five years and go back to inherit a portion of my father's pitiful entitlement and become a third of the mud and gravel of mine tailings. Or... I can excel as an officer in the king's service and make a name for myself. Make a name for myself and take the designation away from the old man. Most designate thirds are soft. They are thirds in line for their father's inheritance, who, in turn, is third or fifth or tenth in line for the designate's inheritance. So far out of possibilities that they just don't try. They have it easier than others in the service because of who they are, and they can just go back to their soft little lives after they're done. Morden shifted his bundle back up on his back and retightened the strap. Not me. I never ran much, but I worked. I learned the sword, staff, and bow. I can fight with any of them and hold my own against third masters in some seconds. We don't get firsts and grandmasters out in the southern draw, but we'll train with them in the king's service. Someday you'll hear of Grandmaster Morden, designate of all the southern highlands. Aim high, Keo said. What? Morden turned on him like Keo had spat on his mother. I said, aim high. It's something I thought of the other day. If you're going to aim, you might as well aim high. You might overshoot your mark, but you'll never fall short. Hi, Morden laughed. Like thinking you'll be a creature handler someday. Yeah, I'm aiming for that. Do you know what it's like to be up there in the sky? So high, everyone on earth looks like little dolls, like bugs. Can you imagine the freedom, the power? No, can you? They stopped in the middle of the dark highway, and Keo looked up at the evening stars appearing in the sky as they watched. No, I don't have to imagine it. I know it, Keo thought. I guess not, Morden said, condescension returning to his tone. Keo shrugged. You see that glow on the horizon? Keo asked, pointing down the road. That's got to be the next village. It's about four before midnight. 
If we walk, we'll be there in an hour. If we run, we'll be there in less than half the time. Morden shook his head, sighed, and said, Let's run. The following day, they traveled slower than the first, as Morden suffered from blisters and sore muscles from the first day's abuse. They reached the next village inn within the last hour before midnight, begging a meal of leftover meat and cheese. Before Keo thought possible, the milkers were waking them for the new day's journey. You said you wanted to do this, Keo reminded the designate third when the boy snapped at Keo, trying to wake him. If you don't get out of bed now, I will leave you to find your own way. I'll wait for the next wagon to pass through, Morden said, wrapped his cloak around him and rolled onto his side in the hay. Fine, Keo said and gathered up his bundle. Keo was sitting alone in the dark common room, finishing off his breakfast of mutton sausage and stiff white cornmeal cakes when Morden limped through the door. He carried his gear, hastily thrown into his blanket and slung over his shoulder. Pieces of hay still clung to his blanket and cloak. Wait for me to eat some breakfast, he said and dropped onto a chair. Is that a command or a request? Morden looked up from the table with a contemplative frown. It's something my mother would ask me if I didn't say please, Keo added. Your mother, Morden said, as if the word were foreign. A serving boy stepped into the room. Some breakfast, Morden called to the boy and turned back to Keo. After another moment, he said, A request. The third day found the two young men jogging as much as they walked. With each step, they could almost watch the southern hardwood creep closer and knew the village where they would stay that night was within the boundaries of the forest. Neither of the boys had ever seen a forest, Keo coming from the grassy rolling plains of the eastern foothills and Morden from the rocky shale of the southern draw. The forest, which had kept a respectful distance to the south for most of the day, suddenly turned and stretched across the highway. The road dove in beneath the trees which crowded against both shoulders of the roadway and stretched their branches above to intersect and weave together with the trees of the opposite side. Though the leaves were probably newly on the trees, they formed a dense enough ceiling to block out any view of the sky. The tunnel through the trees appeared black from where they stood in the midday sunshine. In the distance, a small dome-shaped light told them the forest would open up again a few hundred yards along the road. Once they entered the forest and their eyes adjusted to the change, Keo saw the road was better lit than first appeared, though the forest to the sides was impenetrable and black. Warily, and staying as close to the center of the road as possible, they hurried through it in silence, hugging their arms to their chests. Keo tried to keep his eyes locked on the distant exit, but caught himself examining the shadows among the trees with every distant bird call or rustle from the undergrowth. Neither spoke until they left the bit of forest and stood again beneath the open sky. It felt like something was in there watching us, Keo whispered, like the trees hunched over us with stick fingers waiting to grab us up and hold us in their branches forever. Shut up, Morden said not much louder than Keo, and wiping his lips on the back of his hand. The sharpness of Morden's response surprised Keo, and he would have laughed if he hadn't understood it all too well. Unfortunately, the clearing was smaller than the section they'd just passed through, and the highway disappeared into the main body of the forest only a few hundred yards further along. They stood in the sunlight, 
pondering the shadow. We've seen people coming and going on this road for the past few days, Keo said. They didn't seem to have any problem with the forest. How far do you think the village is? Morden asked. Keo looked at the sky. It's the third hour after midday. I'd say we have at least three hours to go. Walking? Morden asked. Keo only shook his head. The two ran in silence, their plodding footfalls and their synchronous breathing the only sounds. At times, the roadway brightened, the branches above them thinning enough for diffuse light to fall on them, but never enough to cast their shadows on the paving blocks. After an hour, they stopped for a drink. Once they'd stoppered their flasks, preparing to run again, Morden held up his hand and said, Wait, listen. A growling, grinding rumbled in the distance. It sounded vaguely familiar to Keo, but brought shivers up and down his spine. Something ahead was feeding, cracking and grinding on the bones of its prey. And, after a moment of listening, it became clear the creature was making its way toward them. "'We've got to hide,' Keo said. Morden looked around in panic. "'Where?' "'In the forest. Come on!' Keo ran toward the trees, growing within a few yards of the highway. He stopped when he realized Morden hadn't followed. "'Morden, come on! What's wrong?' "'I, I, I,' he stammered and looked like a cornered fox. In a moment, he came to himself, gulping. He stumbled to the trees. Keo reached out and pulled him down into the ferns. Peeking from beneath a large frond, Keo could see nothing, but listened to the sounds the creature made as it approached. The grinding whine grew louder by the second, and the creature was almost upon them when Keo recognized, amid the groaning crunch, the squeak and pop of a wagon's suspension and the regular clop of iron horseshoes on the stone highway. "'Come on, quick!' Keo said, and pulled Morden from the underbrush to the side of the highway, just as a wagon appeared out of the gloom. Keo waved frantically to get the driver's attention. Whoa! the driver called and laughed. What are you boys doing on the forest highway? Good morning, sir. We're on our way to the capital for King's service, Keo said. Can you tell us how far to the next village? You're almost on it. I'd say a half hour more walking and you'll be there and another two days to Hender's Peak. Thank you, sir. I think you have an axle going bad. Your wagon was making a terrible whine, Keo added. The man laughed. That I do. Our blacksmith is lame, and I'm hoping to make it to William's Forge, north of the forest, before she breaks. You must be a blacksmith's third. No, sir. We have a farm in the Swamp Hills. We grow apples and have our share of old wagons. Swamp Hills, you've walked a ways then. The man laughed as he whipped the reins. You'd best be hurrying. Night will be on you soon. They waved him off, and as soon as the wagon was passed, they fell back into a jog. Keo barely had enough time to figure out what was really bothering him about the forest when a golden light appeared through the tunnel of trees. Morden laughed nervously and pointed. Yeah, Keo said, the village, and just in time. I'd say the sun is going down right about now. Within a minute, the bright light had faded to orange and was quickly on its way to purple. The boys put all the energy they could muster into their run, with the goal of getting out from under the trees, before darkness settled completely over the forest. As Keo had traveled from swamp hills, the villages he had passed all appeared similar. Most had stone walls surrounding them, some in better repair than others, and a few with no wall at all. Most of the houses and other structures were constructed of the same stone as the outer wall, though some of the wealthier citizens lived in homes made of kiln-fired brick. 
In this village, every building they passed was constructed from wood. Kiel wandered through the town in undisguised awe, not sure if the trees had grown up among the houses or the opposite. Wherever they looked, if a spot wasn't occupied by a building or paved over with roadblocks, trees grew there. They must bring in all their vegetables from the capital, Keo said, eyeing tall pines that littered the rooftops with old needles. Why do you say that? Morden asked. The question startled him. During their travels, Morden had shown little interest in anything which Keo had said. The boy looked at him, expecting an answer. There's not enough daylight for the vegetables to grow properly, not with all those trees casting shadows everywhere. Morden shrugged and continued alongside Keo. Few villagers were on the street, and light shone through the windows of most of the houses. The inn was easily found, and the two boys made their way to the counter where the tavern mistress oversaw a bustle of activity. As usual, Morden waited for Keo to approach and make the lodging arrangements. "'Good evening, ma'am,' Keo said. She looked across the bar at the two like she had just found spots on a freshly cleaned wine glass. "'What can I do for the two of you?' she asked. "'We're on our way to do our king's service, and we're just looking for lodging and perhaps a meal.' "'King's service?' she asked, and Keo wondered if she had never heard of such a thing. "'Yes, ma'am. We're both fifteen, and on our way to the capital for service selection.' We've come a long ways and we're pretty tired. So, if there might be some room in your barn, we'd be grateful if we could use it and maybe get some bread and cheese to hold us over. Hold you over, she said. Keo was lost. He didn't know what else to say to explain something that had seemed so routine at every inn they'd visited so far. He looked at Morden for help, but he only shrugged. I haven't heard of any wagons coming through here in the last week. How'd you boys get here? We walked, Keo said. When her eyes nearly fell out of their sockets, he said, Well, we walked some and ran some. The wagon we were on took a turn to the south, and we figured we could get to the capital in half the time if we stayed on the southern highway and walked it. Okay, well, it looks like you made it in the nick of time, she said, and leaned over the counter to look Keo in the face. You don't want to be out in the forest after nightfall. Why? Keo asked. "'remembering the odd chills he had beneath the branches. "'Is it haunted?' "'She laughed. "'No, it gets real dark, and you might get lost. "'Have a seat over there, and I'll send you out some dinner.' "'A serving woman brought food to their table, set it down, and said, "'I hear you two are real forest adventurers.' "'Is that unusual?' Keo asked, trying to sound nonchalant. "'We don't get many here from out in the open, especially not walking in. "'A lot of people—' When they're not used to being in the forest, feel like it's closing in on them, like there's something in the trees, or the trees themselves are alive. Is there a wagon going to the capital any time soon? Morden asked. I don't know, she said, looking up. I don't think so. We don't have any thirds going this year. And most of the wagons passing through this time of the year are headed to the east villages and not the capital. But I'm sure you're welcome to stay in the inn and see what comes by. That's okay. We'll head out in the morning on foot. That's been the plan all along, anyway, Keo said. Morden's face dropped and turned paler by degrees. Do what you like. There's really nothing in the forest that will hurt you, if you stay on the road. If you need anything else, just holler, she said and walked away. She's right about that feeling, Keo said. I felt it a little, 
Like the more we went along the highway, the tunnel under the trees would get smaller and smaller until it got so small that we would have to crawl, and then it would squeeze us like sausages in a tube, and stop! Morden slapped the table and wiped sweat from his forehead. I felt it too, but I felt it a lot. I felt it pushing down on me, making it hard to breathe, making it hard to see. I'm amazed you didn't notice how I was stumbling along. I saw faces coming out of the trees and creatures with fangs and claws coming after me. And when you told me to hide in the forest, you might as well have told me to jump in the mouth of a dragon. Morden held his glass of cider with both hands to keep it from shaking and took a sip. I could see it hiding among the trees, a monster just waiting to eat us. Morden, Keo said, shaking his head, you have to be the bravest person I know. What's that supposed to mean? He let go of his glass and placed both hands flat on the table. His angry scowl looked odd on such a pale face. I'm serious. When I hid in the forest, all I saw was trees. When you stepped off the highway, you were stepping into a dragon's jaws. But it was only trees. I saw that from where we crouched. Nothing to be afraid of. Morden leaned back on his chair. It doesn't matter what was there. How you felt was real enough. You were able to move forward through your fear. I really hope you get a chance to show your designate what you're made of, or the king, or whoever makes that choice. Keo leaned back on his seat and finished a piece of bread smeared with the soft cheese. I don't know, Keo, Morden said, shaking his head. Keo tried to remember if the boy had ever called him by his name before. He didn't think so, and waited for him to say what he wanted. Being brave and being scared happens quick. Thinking about heading back into the forest tomorrow happens slow, and every time I think of it, I feel the same pressure, like someone has rolled a wine barrel onto my chest, and they're filling it slowly, and it gets heavier and heavier, and soon I won't be able to breathe. The serving woman smiled for them both as she left two bowls of steaming stew. Before she turned away, Keo asked her, "'Do you know anyone who would sell us a used sword?' "'Do you have any copper?' she asked." "'frowning and looking back and forth between them. "'Even a used sword will cost something. "'Not everyone is on the king's schedule to get paid, you know.' "'Keo looked at Morden and said, "'I've only got a couple of five-ticks.' "'Morden shrugged and said, "'Yeah, the same.' "'Keo continued, "'Twenty's not a lot, "'but if you know someone who needs some cows milked, "'I'm a champion milker, "'and I could work up a few more ticks in the morning.' "'I'll ask around and let you know,' she said, "'taking away the platter.' She had a nice sway to her hips that Keo thought looked practiced. She performed it well. "'Why do you want a sword?' Morden asked. "'You told me you were good with the sword. I think we'd both feel a lot safer if you had one on your hip.' In the morning, after Keo had milked a dozen cows for a man who agreed to sell them a used sword, Morden and he met in the man's foyer. "'Here's the blade,' the stooped dairyman said, rubbing his freckled, bald head, never quite looking into either of their eyes. "'You can give me the twenty ticks you've got, and the sword is yours.' Morden looked at Keo with raised eyebrows. The man saw the exchange and said, "'I'm afraid I've got no ticks to give you. Your work is worth five, but I was planning to exchange the work for my sword. Like I said, your twenty plus the five you've worked for. That's a good deal.' "'The sword's not worth two ticks,' Morden said. "'Look here.' He pointed at the back edge of the blade, where it met the hilt. It's coming apart. A solid hit against another sword or armor, and this blade will split like a seed pod with no fluff to make a wish on. He slid the sword into its sheath and handed it back to the man. 
I guess we wasted our time here, Keo said and headed for the door. Unless, Morden said, and reached to the corner by the door and hefted a long staff from the shadows. He tapped the pole on the floor and tossed it lightly into the air. We would accept this as payment. That staff's worth much more than twenty-five ticks, the man blustered. And you knew the sword you offered us was worthless, Morden said, tapping the staff on the plank floor again, hard enough for Keo to feel the vibration through the soles of his boots. We'll add five ticks to what Keo worked. Consider the balance a discount for your dishonesty. At the fifth hour before midday, they strapped their bundles across their backs. Morden carried the staff as they approached the village's western gate. An earlier start than our first day, Keo said, if only by minutes. Morden walked with his head down, his toes almost dragging on the paving blocks. He gulped audibly and asked, Did you get a clear answer on how far it is to the capital? Most say it's a day and a half by wagon, and all said that they wouldn't think twice about sleeping the night beneath the cover of the trees. There are no other villages on the highway, though two-thirds of the way through, there's a road south through the forest to a small collection of homes, perhaps five miles off the highway. No good solution, Morden said. Either camping on the highway or traveling through the night, one sounds as bad as the other. They began to run even before they left the village. Morden held the long staff with his right hand and balanced along his forearm. The trees overhead weren't as dense as the day before. The bright morning sun cast random freckles of sunlight onto the road to dance back and forth across the highway as the trees swayed in the gentle breeze. Though no longer breathing heavily during their periodic rests, Morden did take advantage of the staff and leaned on it whenever he could. They rested near the first hour before midday and watched the shifting shadows of leaves on the ground slowly fade away. Before the end of their short rest, the sky had clouded over, and the branches above them whipped in agitation to the increasing wind. As the day progressed past midday and through the first and second hours, the air grew cooler and darkness crowded under the canopy of trees. In the third hour, rain began as a rattle against the leaves above them, only the occasional drop sneaking through, but by the fourth hour great drops of accumulated rain splashed down on them. In some places, water drizzled a continuous stream from the high branches, and though they had donned their waxed overcloaks, they were ultimately soaked through to their skin. They had lost time to donning their overcloaks and rebundling their packs. In addition, they traveled slowly under the onslaught of rain. In the darkness, they lost track of how far they had traveled, how far they still had to go, and any possibility of finding the track to the south and shelter among the homes there. Keo held out his hand to stop Morden, and shouted over the sound of rain hitting the leaves above and streams of water pounding the highway and foliage below. Look, Keo pointed ahead. In the haze of rain, a square outline appeared obvious against the background of twisted branches and foliage. A way hut! They made a sodden dash for the stone building. Thinking he had found relief from the rain and safety within, Keo slid the latch aside and burst through the door. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more, stop by my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Joe and see how you can help me produce these episodes and earn some bonuses for yourself at the same time. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, 
I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author producer is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash philipcarrollauthor. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.